My name is Rick Renner, and I'm in the upper room in Jerusalem, which is the site where Jesus served communion to his apostles. This was not a religious ritual which Jesus was giving to them. Jesus was getting ready to leave. And before he left, he wanted to enter into covenant with his disciples. That bread really meant something. That drink really meant something. These were not just religious items. This was a real message which Jesus was giving to his apostles and to you and to me. What is communion? Why do we break bread? Why do we drink of the cup? What do these elements mean for you and me? It must be very important because Jesus said, this do in remembrance of me. Why are we supposed to have communion? That's what I'm going to talk to you about today. Stay tuned for a teaching you can trust, a message that will inspire, strengthen, and equip you with vital insights and understanding from the Word of God. Here is Rick. Welcome to today's program. My name is Rick Ranner, and as I told you in the introduction today, we're going to begin a brand new series called Insights on Communion. And I've asked Denise to join me for this week's programs. Hey, sweetheart. Hi, Rick. I'm so excited about these programs. You know, Denise, I have a lot to share, and you may not comment much in these programs, but I just wanted you to be with me because this teaching is so very important. And on Friday of this week, we're going to actually share communion with our TV family. That's why we have the bread and we have the juice right here. And on Friday, we want you to be sure to get some bread and get some juice so you can partake of communion with us. But when I was growing up, I grew up in the most wonderful Bible teaching church. And once a quarter, we had communion in our church. I bet you had it once a quarter, too. <laughs> we had it once a quarter. Well, we're from the same denominational background. <laughs> so once a quarter, we came together and we had communion. But I really knew, never knew what it was about. I never heard a teaching on communion. Isn't that amazing? Rick, I never heard one either. We did it so faithfully. Jesus commanded us to do it. And I never heard a teaching on why we did it, mm. what the elements meant. I just knew we were to do it and do it seriously because the Bible says you were not to partake of communion unworthily. I didn't even know what that meant. I thought it meant don't spill the grape juice. Be serious in the way you hold the bread, the way you drink the wine. Mm -hmm. Maybe it had something to do with your attitude to do it unworthily. I didn't know what it meant, but I approached it with great fear and trembling yeah. because I didn't want to partake of communion unworthily. I didn't know why Jesus said this do, but Jesus did say this do. We're commanded to do it, so it's very important. So don't you think it makes sense that we should understand what is communion? Of course. And that's why we're doing this series this week, and I'm offering you my series called Insights on Communion. You're going to hear something brand new this week, and I want you to get this five-part series. It comes in multiple formats. You'll be so glad you got it. This is definitely a series you'll want to share with your pastor or with someone else in your church. It is just powerful, and it comes with a study guide that will really reinforce everything you're seeing and everything that you are hearing. And today only, we're offering you Denise's book called Redeemed from Shame. It may look small, this is a very powerful book. And if you've ever dealt with issues of shame or embarrassment, or maybe you know someone who does, this book will set them free. And today, it is our gift to you. If you'll just call us right now, 
will get it right in the mail to you. Denise. I believe that as you read that book, God's going to touch your heart and he's going to deliver you from shame or embarrassment, something that's holding you back. Now today you need to get a piece of paper and something to write with. Grab your Bible because we're going to go to a lot of places in the Bible today. And today our theme is called Components of a Covenant. The word covenant really is foundational to understanding communion. Jesus called it the New Testament in his blood. The Greek actually says it is a new covenant. When Jesus shared communion, he was making a covenant. So we need to understand in the ancient world, in the time of the Old Testament and in the time of the New Testament, what were the components of a covenant? And today I'm going to give you nine components of a covenant. There's a lot to cover, so we have to move fast. Let's begin with component number one. When there was a covenant, a promise was made. This is very important. Today I have to read from my notes because I have so much information to share with you. There were four primary reasons for making a covenant. It was because you wanted to enter into a relationship. You wanted protection. You wanted trust or you wanted love. And when you entered into a covenant, it guaranteed faithfulness, loyalty, and dependability. And promises were exchanged when there was the making of a covenant. And these promises were so real that they lasted for seven generations. Well, the word seven really depicts infinity. It means when you made a covenant with a person, that covenant was forever. It even extended to his family for generations and generations. And we see this in the Old Testament example of David and Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was the son of Jonathan, and Jonathan had made a covenant with David, and David had entered into covenant with Jonathan. And when Jonathan died, David's covenant to Jonathan extended even to his grandson, Mephibosheth. So a covenant is very serious. It's something that goes for seven generations. It's something that is forever. So covenants are very serious and they come with promises that are to be kept. Number two, in every covenant, there was some kind of a blood sacrifice. This is very important. The word for covenant in Hebrew actually means to cut until the blood flows. If no blood was shed, then there was not a covenant. This is very important. The shedding of blood was required for the cutting of a covenant. And if you ever hear the phrase, we're going to cut a covenant, it means there's going to be a sacrifice. There's going to be blood shared. And to cut a covenant, an animal normally would be cut right down the backbone and the halves would be placed on two sides and in between the two halves, you would find a path of blood. You see this in Genesis chapter 15, when Abraham began to kill all the animals, he cut them in half, he put them on both sides of a bloody path in order to make a covenant with God. There was the shedding of blood. This is required in order to make a covenant. And by the way, when Abraham entered into this covenant with God, that's when he began to be called the friend of God. He wasn't just called the friend of God because he was friendly or because God liked him. He was the friend of God. He was befriended by God when he entered into covenant with God. Number three, a bloody path. This is very, very important. Covenants were usually consummated when the two members making the covenant would walk through the middle of the dead pieces, right through the middle of the bloody path. And usually there were witnesses on both sides 
who were watching this very solemn event. This was very solemn, and witnesses came to testify that a solemn covenant was being made. Now, when you come to Genesis chapter 15, we find a little bit of a diversion because Abraham prepared all the pieces. There was a bloody path. The blood had been shed. And Abraham sat and waited for God to come. And the Bible says that as Abraham waited, he fell into a deep, deep, dark sleep. He literally was paralyzed in his position. He was immobilized. He couldn't move when suddenly the Bible says a smoking furnace and a burning torch began to pass through the middle of those pieces. Abraham could not get up and move even though he saw the smoking furnace and the burning torch, which represented the presence of God, Abraham sat on the side and watched as God himself, by himself, walked through the midst of those dead pieces, and God made a covenant with himself. Now, Abraham at that time thought he was going to be walking through the pieces with God. But you have to remember, Abraham had made a lot of mistakes. God had chosen Abraham. God was committed to work with Abraham, to enter into covenant with Abraham. But on this day, God did not want Abraham making another mistake. So on that day, God walked through the pieces by himself. And Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13 refers to this when it says, For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. That word swore is a Greek word which means to make an unbreakable promise. God was going to make an unbreakable promise. The Bible says he did it by himself. The Greek little means on the basis of himself without anyone else's participation. And then in verse 14, God said, Surely I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thee. God stood in the midst of those pieces and looked at Abraham on the side and said, Buddy, I am bound and determined. I am going to bless you. I am going to multiply you. In spite of all the mistakes that you have made, I have chosen you. And when you come to verse 17, it says, Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath. That word oath is a Greek word which describes an oath that fences oneself in, an oath that perpetually abides, or an oath from which there is no way out, or God says, I've chosen you, I'm going to stick with you, and I'm making a promise, I will never walk away from you, you're it, like it or not, I have chosen you. God swore it by himself. That is amazing, which means God really made a covenant with himself. Now later, God did require Abraham to enter into a bloody part of the covenant, and that was the act of circumcision. Blood is required for a covenant. You know, I for years wondered, well, why circumcision? That's so strange. But think about it. Every time Abraham looked at himself in private, which he did all the time, just like everyone does, every time he saw himself and saw where blood had been shed, he was reminded constantly that he had entered into a covenant with God. Wow, that is amazing. Blood was required and a bloody path was required for the cutting of a covenant. There were blessings and curses with the cutting of a covenant. Partners would pledge never-ending commitments to one another, never-ending blessings, but it was understood that if you broke the covenant, a curse would come upon you, and usually it was a curse of death. And this brings a whole new light 
on 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27, where the Apostle Paul writes, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat of this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Verse 28. But let a man examine himself, and then eat of that bread, and drink of that cup. Verse 29, For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Verse 30, For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. If you don't keep your commitment in your covenant, you can reap negative consequences. That basically is what the Bible tells us, and that was true with every single covenant that was ever made. Then number five, in every covenant, another component was the mingling of blood. The mingling of blood. Blood in the Bible represents the giving of life. It's not necessarily the taking of life. If you give your blood, it represents the giving of life. In Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11, it says, Life is in the blood. And in every ancient culture, it was believed that there was life in blood blood. And when you gave your blood, you were literally giving your life to someone else. And in a covenant, when you take someone else's blood, when you take in their blood, you are thereby really acquiring that person's life. You're taking their life into you. You become a partaker with that person's life and you become a partaker with that person's nature. And in this way, two totally unrelated people can become flesh and blood. And in the ancient world, this was even called a brothering covenant because two men would literally become flesh and blood brothers because they took in the other's blood. This was not just a ritual. It was literally becoming related by blood. That is how serious was the mingling of blood. And there were a number of rituals to do this. For example, sometimes they would stand in the middle of those dead pieces of animals, stand in the very bed of blood, and they would partake of each other's blood. Sometimes they would put a droplet of their blood into a goblet of wine and then would drink it. Sometimes they would cut their wrists and then hold their wrists together so the blood would mingle. There were all kinds of ways they could mingle their blood, but when they did, it was partaking of each other's life, literally acquiring the other person's life and becoming related by blood. This was not just a figure of speech. This was real and it was legal. You became brothers when there was the mingling of blood. Number six, when there was the cutting of a covenant, there also was an exchange of names. Hmm. When you entered into covenant, you could take the other person's name. We see this in the Old Testament. When Abraham's name was changed to Abraham, when Sarai's name was changed to Sarah, and all over the New Testament, we see people's names are changed when they enter into covenant with God. Now, tomorrow you're going to see why this is so very important. Number seven, there was an exchange of gifts. This is a very important component in the cutting of a covenant. There was an exchange of gifts. Now, when you come to 1 Samuel chapter 18, we see a perfect example of this. When the Bible says that Jonathan loved David and he made a covenant with David and Jonathan exchanged gifts with David. Listen to what it says. 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 3. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant. There it is. They made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him and gave it to David. 
and of his garments, even to his sword, and to his bow, and to his girdle. Why did he give these particular articles to David? Because the robe represented a person's identity and authority. When he gave David his robe, he was giving David his identity and his authority. Why his weapons? Because weapons represented power and protection. He was giving to David a promise of power, a promise of divine protection. Finally, he gave him his girdle. A girdle represented a person's belongings, all of their wealth, all of their possessions. It was the equivalent of saying, David, everything I have is now at your disposal. This exchange of gifts really meant something. Number eight, there was a covenant meal. Oh, this is so powerful. Covenant partners typically shared a meal as a part of cutting a covenant. And the meal included bread and wine. The bread represented flesh and the bread. Now here we have bread. We always use bread in communion because Jesus used bread. Why did he use bread? Because the bread was symbolic of a person's wealth, a person's possessions, all that he had. And when you broke that bread and shared it with someone else, it was equivalent to saying, everything that I have is at your disposal. All of mine, it is yours. That's what it meant when they gave bread. But then they took a goblet of wine. Today we use juice. Why? Because it represented blood. Blood. Why juice? Why wine? Because it's produced by the crushing or the squeezing of grapes. It depicts a life that has been given, blood that has been squeezed, someone who has been sacrificed. And when you gave the goblet of wine or the goblet of juice, it represented a promise. It literally meant, not only have I promised you everything that I have, I will give my life to empower the promise that I just made to you. Yes, I'll give you everything that I have. That's what this bread means. Everything that I have is at your disposal. And this cup of blood, this cup of wine, juice, this is my way of saying, if I have to give my life to empower this covenant, I will give my life. I will give everything I have to stand by the commitment that I'm making to you this day. This was very, very serious. And this is why bread and wine were always involved in the making of a covenant and part of the covenant meal. Wow. Number nine. Oh, this is so powerful. Listen to this. One component, one of the most important components of the cutting of a covenant was a witness or a memorial event. What do I mean by that? There was a reminder that was created so that everyone who saw it would always remember that a covenant had been made. For example, a tree might be planted or a heap of stones might be heaped together or a pillar might be erected. And when everyone saw the tree or the stones or the pillar, it reminded them of a time and a place when a covenant was cut between two people. And in the Old Testament, we see some of these memorial events, these witnesses that forever reminded people of a covenant. For example, in Genesis chapter 9, God set a rainbow in the sky as a sign of the covenant that he had made with man that he would never flood the earth again. And every time we see the rainbow, that is an eternal memorial of a covenant that God made with mankind. Or how about Genesis chapter 19? When circumcision was given as a witness or a memorial of the Abrahamic covenant, that is a witness that is to remind people continually 
that they have a covenant with God. Or how about Genesis chapter 21 where the Bible says Abraham planted a tree as a witness, a memorial to the covenant that he had made with Abimelech. Or how about Genesis chapter 31 where the Bible tells us that Jacob and Laban erected a stone pillar as a witness to their covenant so that everyone who saw that stone pillar remembered that a covenant had been made. There was always a memorial event or there was a witness to the covenant. There were nine components in the making of a covenant. Number one, covenant promises. Number two, a blood sacrifice. Number three, a bloody path. Number four, blessings and curses. Number five, the mingling of blood. Number six, the exchange of names. Number seven, an exchange of gifts. Number eight, there was a covenant meal. And finally, number nine, there was a memorial event. All of that is very basic to understanding communion because all of that is in the background of communion. Jesus said to his disciples on the night that he was betrayed, this is the New Testament in my blood. That word testament really is the Greek word for a covenant. Jesus said, I am making a covenant with you. And as you will see in tomorrow's program, when Jesus made his covenant with them, every one of these components were involved in the covenant that Jesus made with his disciples and the covenant that he made with me and the covenant that he made with you. Now, I hope that you've learned something brand new from the program today. Denise, did you enjoy this? I loved it, Rick. I loved when you held up the cup and when you held up the bread and how you said that Jesus, he gave us all of himself. He made this blood covenant with us. And then when you said, it was God that did it. God made a covenant with himself. And when Jesus died, he made a covenant with himself, with us. I mean, there's nothing we can do to save ourselves. He did it. Well, it's just powerful. And this is very fundamental to understanding what the Bible teaches about mm -hmm. communion. Now, the series that we're teaching this week is called Insights on Communion, but we're just getting started. But when we come back in the next program, we're going to go through all nine of these points again and see one by one how all of these were fulfilled in the covenant that Jesus made with me and the covenant that Jesus made with you. But I'll be back in just a moment and I'm going to pray for you. Many churches have communion once every quarter of the year. But what is it really all about? In Insights on Communion, Rick Renner delves into what communion meant in the ancient world and why Jesus commanded all Christians practice it. People all over the world and in every Christian denomination often take communion without really understanding what it means. In this five-part series, you'll learn what communion meant in the first century, what the symbolism of the bread and juice means, what the disciples understood when Jesus served them communion, what the spiritual and physical benefits of communion are for you today. Available in digital or physical formats, starting at just $10, Insights on Communion will teach you the significance of communion and how to activate its power in your life every time you take it. In addition to this teaching series, you can also request the book, Redeemed from Shame. If you've dealt with issues of shame, it's time for you to walk free of it forever. In this book by Denise Renner, you'll learn that Jesus took your shame on the cross and you don't need to live with it anymore. If you want to walk free from the prison of shame that you've been in for so long, the answer is waiting for you in Redeemed from Shame. And today only. This book is our free gift to you. Just call the number on your screen or visit renner.org. Free today only when you call or go online to request it. Get the book Redeemed from Shame for free today. And don't miss this powerful teaching series. 
Call now or go to renner.org to order. One book per household for U.S. mailing only. Friends, this is Rick Renner, and today I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you for helping us to victoriously finish phase one of our ministry expansion project, which was purchasing our Tulsa headquarters building and building the building for our new studio in Moscow. That studio is an anchor for the Word of God. And together we did it. We finished phase one. And then you faithfully stayed with us through phase two and you gave again to help us finish the interior of the studio. And I wanna say thank you so much. But now in front of us is phase three. You say, well, what is phase three? Phase three is paying off the Tulsa building. Now, right now, I'm in the interior of the Moscow Good News Church. It is quite an amazing place. When you walk through this building, it's so beautiful and it testifies to the grace of God and the provision of God and the giving of our church and of our partners. We built this facility debt-free and because of that, the Moscow Church has never had the burden of monthly payments. All of our funds have been released to do the work of the gospel. And now we need to do that in Tulsa and I call this phase three. And I'm asking you today to pray about joining us as part of the giving team for phase three, which is paying off the Tulsa facility. And the reason we want to pay it off is because then it will release funds for us to take the teaching of the Bible to the ends of the earth. And dear friend, right now, the Bible is so needed. And I know that that's my heart and that is your heart. And together, we can take the Bible to the ends of the earth. So please pray about joining us for phase three to finish paying off the Tulsa building. And I want to say thank you in advance. Denise and I are so glad that you've joined us for today's program. We've just gotten started teaching Insights on Communion. By the way, if you need prayer, please call us. Call us right now. The number's on your screen or send us an email. As soon as that phone rings or as soon as your email shows up in our inbox, we will begin to pray with you. Denise and I, our entire team, we are so serious about praying for you when you call us and we will keep praying with you until you get the victory in your life that you're believing for. We'll stand with you and pray in the name of Jesus. But today we're offering you my series called Insights on Communion. It's five parts. Communion is so powerful and important for us to understand. Jesus commanded us to partake of communion and in communion we're celebrating the covenant that God made with us. And today we just got started covering this. We're going to cover more of it tomorrow, but all of it is in this wonderful series that comes with a study guide. The two of these together are just powerful. They're powerful. And today only we're offering you Denise's book called Redeemed from Shame. It may look small, but let me tell you, it is powerful. This is a little book that will make a powerful difference in your life, and you can read it in one setting. And it's our gift to you today, so please call us right now, and we'll get it right in the mail to you. We want you to really know you're redeemed from shame.
But Denise, thanks for joining me as I taught the Bible today. Thank you, Rick, for inviting me. And Rick, I want to say thank you to our partners. If you're a partner with us, thank you so much for partnering with us. We're so grateful for you, partners. And right now, we want to pray for all of you. Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus that today you've allowed us to sit together and to begin to study the components of a covenant. And Father, I pray that tomorrow you'll help us to understand what is the significance of all of this for me, for Denise, for all of our friends when it comes to the issue of communion. Lord, you told us to partake of communion. We need to know why and what it means for us. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Remember Ecclesiastes 8.4, where the word of a king is, there is power. Let God's word work in your life today, and we'll see you tomorrow.